0: Welcome you to Doxadeyo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission. Passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwane. Hello, Headfield, will you open up a Bible with me, if that's all right, to the book of Acts 18? We are well on our way to finishing up this book. It's our third series as we're preaching through the book of Acts, and we're calling this series Tales of the Table. We're saying the most prominent space of impact and effectiveness in the early church was never the temple, it was the table. It was these hundreds and thousands of meals around tables that taught people what it meant to follow Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit, to embrace the gospel, to impact the city. And we're saying, man, if we could hear some of those stories that made the church the most impactful force for good in the history of mankind, imagine the fact that around our tables today, we have the same love of the Father. We have the same Holy Spirit in us. We have the same good news of Jesus. And so what could our tables around our communes and our homes and our offices, what tales could we start hearing in this city if we were to take this message Seriously. So today, last week, Tyche like left us um, at the Areopagus as Paul was having this deep philosophical discussion with some of the philosophers in Athens. And so, what's going to happen now is now Paul moves on from Athens in this historical narrative and he goes south to this place called Corinth. And this is the capital, basically, of Achaia, and it is literally 20 times the size of Athens. So this is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's massive. So if you imagine us saying, man, we want to impact the city of Twane, here's an example for us of a gigantic city that did not have an appetite for Jesus, for spirituality, for faith and religion, and yet Paul goes there with hope in his heart. The church is going there to say, we want to not just be in the city But we want to transform the city with the good news of Jesus. So let's read further. Acts 18 verse 1. It says, After this, he, now Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So Paul came to them. And since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked Also, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Then when Silas and Timothy, we left them a couple of weeks ago, arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So he left there. And he went to the house of a man named uh, Tathias Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And so Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, he believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. So many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and they were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. No one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. Let's skip to verse 18. And so after staying there for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters. And he sailed away to Syria accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now there's a ton of stuff we could go into in this passage, but there's one little almost throwaway line that so caught my heart. And I just feel that as we're in the beginning of this year, that this is the, the heart's cry that I think God has for us as a church. Not just the church that gathers, but that scatters, that, that we go and be the church. Just look with me, it's, it introduces in this passage us to this power couple from the early church. Remember, this is not just some mythical story. This is history given to us. So there was an actual couple who lived 2,000 years ago, this Jewish couple called Priscilla and Aquila. And like I said, man, they were, they were big shots in the early church. But listen to what it says about them. It says in verse 3, Paul meets this couple and it says, since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and he worked. So what is he saying? Paul obviously had to, he was a full-time missionary. He was a a you know, an apostle chosen by God. He was this ultra religious man who got transformed by the message of Jesus going from a church persecutor to church planter. And so he's moving around and he's telling people of the resurrected Jesus and he's planting these Jesus communities that would eventually be called churches. So he's almost a full-time missionary worker, and yet he meets these people, and so he has to support himself wherever he goes. He's doing minor jobs. He's picked up this thing of tent making. He's a leather worker. And he meets this business couple who we will learn later have done very well for themselves. They're very affluent and prominent in the community. And this couple, they connect over this common occupation, this profession, and yet look at how seamlessly, Speaking about the business world, speaking about the marketplace, this is my profession, my skill set. This is who I am and what I do. How it moves, in the words of Paul, effortlessly too. it says, he yet went to the synagogues and he spoke about Jesus. For this couple and for Paul, there was an absolute congruence between what I do on a Monday and what I celebrate on a Sunday. There was no gap for them between those two things. In fact, again, think about this. This is a business couple. They're not full-time pastors. They're not missionaries. They're not you know, prophets with a whole bunch of fancy titles. They are people in the business world. And yet, listen to what it says about them in Acts 18, verse 26. Next week, we'll look at this. There's this young, fiery preacher we're going to meet in the church called Apollos. And he's speaking about Jesus, but he's, in a sense, a bit young in the faith. So they hear him preaching so passionately. And it says here, he began, Apollos, to speak boldly in the synagogue. And after Priscilla and Aquila, the business couple, When they heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Here is the business couple who has to come and help with the theology of the fiery preachers in the church. Do they see incongruence between being in the business world and being strong in theology? No, not at all. Yes, my occupation, my profession is I'm a leather worker. I'm I'm a business owner with my wife, but yes, theology is my love. Jesus is my love, God is my love. Being passionate about the gospel is my love. But more about them, in Corinthians, they're going to help plant this church. And so when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says to them at the end here, the churches of Asia send your greetings, you guys there in Corinth. Aquila and Priscilla, our power business couple, they send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. So again, think about that. They are, in our context, those people who have really struck it hard when it comes to their profession. They are doing well for themselves. And what do they do with their resources? They're hosting a church in their house. And don't see like two by two, like Karlsfontein flat. This is like a house. So they they have a church meeting in their house. Do, Do they see incongruence between being successful and proficient and good at what they do and seeing the church move forward? Nothing. Yes, this is my profession, but this is who I am. Maybe one last one in Romans 16. Paul writes to the church in Rome. He's about to pass away, be persecuted for his faith. And listen how he ends this later. He says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. I'm the pastor. they just the people in the church. Now, what does he say? My co-workers in Christ Jesus. How powerful is that? Paul says, yes, I'm the full-time missionary chosen by God to do this. And this couple who find themselves in the business world, they are pediatricians, painters, plumbers, poets. Yes, I'm a prophet, but that's their work. I'm not seeing them as I'm the leader and they are in the church. They are here to support my work. No, we are co-workers Monday to Saturday. Did they see any incongruence between celebrating Jesus on a Sunday and absolutely living out their faith on a Monday? Nothing. This is the call, friends, of (laughs) Doxodeo. The glory of God manifested in the city. It's not going to happen through me alone. I promise you. Pastors, prophets, all these people, they make up 0,002% of the global church. Why did the church become the church, this force for good? It wasn't primarily because of the prophets and, you know, the the full-time missionaries. It was primarily because of the pediatricians and painters and plumbers like Priscilla and Aquila. It wasn't primarily the Pauls of the world. Many people would say Paul is under the top five most influential human beings to ever live And yet the church is not the church today primarily because of the Pauls of the world. It's primarily because of the Priscilla's and Aquila's of the world. So on Friday, my parents were here to visit, and we're having just this amazing moment together, Shay and I and the kids and my parents. And as it is in South Africa, what happens when you're just having a really good time together at night? Load shedding, of course. So... And and it almost feels like the moment that happens, there's this emotional reaction in the heart of a South African that you just feel like, man, now the the groove has just been broken. Now we need to figure out the lighting and this and that. And the moment the lights come on, I don't know if you have it with you guys, but in our complex, there's literally like a war cry of joy that you hear. Like it's it's like, I will teach you the song of my people, the South African people. It's like, yes, load shedding is done. So the moment that happens, it's almost like when the lights come on again, now everyone is ready to go. Now the culture sets back and now everything is moving. I think very often that's exactly what happens in the Christian life. If you're a Christian here this morning, Sunday mornings, Sundays, man, the lights are on. There's passion, there's worship, there's expectation. God is busy, the Spirit is flowing, the lights are on. And then Monday mornings, we switch the light off. Now faith takes a back seat and now I go and do my job. Now I'm going into the secular space from my sacred space, and I'm waiting for next Sunday to get that jolt of faith again. Now, I know that's a lot of the Western church's mindset, but here I see a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, saying that is nonsense. I'm not called to simply gather as the church. I'm called to be the church. Theology, as a businessman, it's my thing. Hosting the church, building the church, as a businessman, it's my thing. Making sure that I'm co-working with everyone in this church to see the church forwarded and the kingdom forward in the city as a businessman and woman, that's our thing. They did not have a switch on, switch off for their faith. They said, Monday morning, man, now I'm really needing the power of God because now my faith is going to shine. Friends, this is the calling that we have. This is the calling that you have. That we would see this. That's why Dr. Leo often says the, the, the version of, of, of discipleship that we want to emphasize is that of being a city changer. Saying, man, the church would not just gather in the in little enclaves of You know, just surviving there in the back somewhere. They said our faith is meant for the public sphere. Our faith is at its best when it's lived out between the pediatricians and the painters and the plumbers and the poets. So what does that look like? I love what Michael Green says. He says, early historians would definitely agree with this. The early Christians' explosive growth was in reality accomplished by means of what? Informal missionaries in homes, In wine shops, some of you guys said, that's my calling. On walks, around market stalls, they did it naturally and enthusiastically. The church is what it is today, the greatest movement in the history of mankind. Not primarily because of the Pauls of the world, but the Priscilla and the Aquilas of the world. That is your calling. So what does that look like? Now, I will tell you that I became a Christian at the end of my high school career, and then I went on and I started studying. So I became a student. I started working. So I was an employee. I got married. So I became a husband. I had children. And so I became a father. But the reality is, yes, all those things are, in a sense, part of my vocation, my profession. As it says here, Paul and these, you know, Priscilla and Aquila likes in the early church, they realize we have the same calling. Yes, different roles, but same result. We have the same profession. My profession has changed many times, but my calling remains the same. Yes, I'm a father, but I'm a Christian first. Yes, I'm an employee, but I'm a Christian first. Yes, I am a husband, but I'm a Christian first. So what does that look like for you and me? To say if it's gonna be the plumbers and the painters and the pediatricians who make the biggest impact, what does that look like? And I wanna tell you, like we've said very often, I wish I could give you the little... ABC of how this works. Just give me the one-liner that changes my whole view about my work on Mondays. You won't get that, friends. There's no little simple answer. What there is, is the long life journey of Christian faith called what? Maturity. There's what we have. Over decades of life, saying, I will have to, like Priscilla and Aquila, grow into my calling. They did not begin microwave day one as businessmen and women saying, yes, I fully understand what God wants to do in and through me. It was a journey over many years of their life. My question to you is, where are you on that journey today? And in five years from now, are you gonna say, man, I'm still a pediatrician. That's my vocation. That's my profession. But man, the Christian element of what I do has grown exponentially. Yes, I'm a painter. Yes, I'm a plumber. Yes, I'm a poet. Yes, I'm a programmer. But I'm a Christian first. And has that grown over the last five years? Has it stagnated? Has it not moved? Has the needle of your profession moved in the direction of the kingdom? You don't have to become a pastor. We just have to become Christians. So can I give you, maybe not the ABC, but a couple of keys. We're going to retrace some ground that we covered a year and a half ago. And the reason is because we have to get this not simply into our minds, but into the marrow of our spirit. It's only when you seriously in your heart start saying, okay, I get it. That's when you almost start to get it. So I want you to step into tomorrow with one more inch of like, I think I'm starting to get this. I think I'm starting to get what it means to be a Priscilla and a Quiller for the city change of Pretoria. So four things. How do I see my job? How do I see my vocation? I'm a student. I'm a single mom. I'm a stay at home mom. Maybe I'm a doctor. Maybe I'm a teacher. Maybe I'm in high school what is your profession? Four things. The will of God. To see your profession. If you want to take a photo of this, we'll send it in our partners group. It's a whole bunch to take in, but there's a reason for it. If I can can even embody like a, a fifth of this over the next many decades of my life, man, I will be so thankful. So four things. If I can see my profession as the will of God, that's the reason I do the work that I do. Second, if I can see my profession as the presence of God in our city, that's the outcome of my work. Number three, if I can see my profession as the character of God in the city, that's the way that I do my work. And fourthly, if I can see my profession, whatever it is that you do, as the message of God in the city, that's the opportunity that I have in my work. So let's take a couple of minutes and just look at each of those. And I've got a couple of examples that I'll use just to color it in for us. Number one, your profession, whatever that you do today. Maybe you are retired, maybe you're an anti-nester, maybe you are a stay-at-home mom, maybe you are an engineer, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a pastor. What is your profession? Number one, it's the will of God for the city. This is the reason that I do my work. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this. For just as the body is one and has many parts, the church, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one so also is Christ. Verse 27 says, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. When will we see Jesus and his presence and his glory in the city? When his body takes up its calling. You are the body. The body of of Christ will tomorrow go and exercise its profession and its gifts. So I need to come to the place where I say, man, the reason I do my work is I want the will of God's kingdom to come to this earth in every facet of my life. Jesus did not say, God, may you take us to heaven as soon as possible. He said, no, bring your kingdom to earth through us. As it is on earth. (laughs) No, as it is in heaven. So what is, the, what is the will of God? It's that every facet of my life, my parenting, my sexuality, my work, my decision-making, my language, the way I treat my neighbors, the way I engage, the frustration of politics and load-shedding, that all these things would reflect the kingdom and its values. I think of a friend of mine, We've got a a, a WhatsApp group for a close circle of friends that we had since high school. And and not too long ago, one of our friends, he sent a, a video of him just praying over his son and they would just kind of, you know, just joyfully go back and forth. And he would, he would take his son's legs and he said, man, these, these legs have been made by God to run really fast. And he would say, man, these eyes have been made by God to see the possibilities of his future for you. And, you know, these hands, he would hold his young son's hands and he would say, man, these hands have been made to do God's work. Friends, we need to start seeing that as you enter into your Monday as I see my kids around the table in the morning, as I enter into my office, as I step into the operating theater, I need to say, man, these hands, the body of Christ, maybe I'm the pinky, maybe I'm the phalange, maybe I'm the tailbone, maybe I'm a shoulder blade. I don't know what you are, but maybe you have been made for that very place to bring the kingdom of God. Don't wait for Sunday, be the church. Don't wait for the jolt, switch on your faith. Switch on your faith wherever you find yourself. So let me give you some examples. If your profession is the will of God, it's the reason I do my work. God, let your kingdom come through everything that I do. Doctors, when nurses are neglecting their duties, are you engaging those nurses with contempt or with restorative grace that more people can experience healing? Entrepreneurs, when you think about profit, are you simply chasing maximum growth or do you see as part of the business plan of your business the pain and the brokenness of our city as your issue? Electricians, are you cutting corners? We've had issues like that in the past because that's just the way it happens in our sector. Or are you going the extra mile even if literally no one will ever see it because I am preserving people's safety and quality of life? I do what I do, here's my profession is that I'm a doctor, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an electrician. But as with Paul, I can say, we have actually the same profession because God's will, his kingdom, it's the reason that I do my work. Secondly, if you can start seeing your profession, not just as the will of God in the city, but as the presence of God in our city, the outcome of my work. If we just had a million more church buildings, it wouldn't make a difference, friends. How full the church is on a Sunday has very little bearing sometimes as to how full of the doxa of Deo the church is from a Monday to a Saturday. We don't need necessarily just more Christians. We need more Christian thinking in the city, more Christian living in the city, more Christian conviction in the city. And I'm speaking to myself here. So listen to what it says in Matthew five thirteen, very famously. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light Of the world, the city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, that it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, Christian, Priscilla, Aquila, pastor, painter, programmer, pediatrician, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. The way I do my work and my parenting and my friendships either says something about God or it doesn't. He says, let your light shine. The way that you are doing your work is the presence of God in our city. The outcome of my work is to reveal the kingdom's healing and illuminating power, thereby leading others to experience God. The way I do my work can either illuminate people to who God is or it can just speak of the fact that I'm just having an eight to five to get to the 25th for another paycheck. My wife, when she was working for the University of the Free State, she had a line manager who, even though he worked in a very sexually kind of loose moral situation, even though he had to in a very almost polyreligious setting, it was a very difficult space to keep your Christian faith. And you know what? So many people around him would always say, as was my wife's comments about him, he treated people with justice and fairness. People loved him, not firstly because of his profession of faith, but because of the way he lived out his faith in his profession. We have the same occupation. We have the same profession. Before I tell people about Jesus, show them Jesus and what you do. Show them by how you do it. Show them by the excellence of how you do it. People are not looking to you on a Sunday. They are looking to you tomorrow. We are called to this. Maybe I can give you just a quick resource just to keep on stirring us. I love this website, the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. It's a think tank for people like you and me who say, man, we are the Priscilla's and the Aquila's. We don't necessarily just need a whole bunch of training schools for theology and you know, pastors and prophets and, and missionaries. What we need are people who every single week say, man, God, stir me again. Uh, show me what it means to be fully out a doctor that is firstly a Christian, an, op- an entrepreneur that is fully Christian, a-, a housewife that is fully Christian. So maybe go to this website and just be stirred. Just pray through these things. Just say, man, God, I'm going to go through the list of the things, the roles that I have, and I'm just going to pray through those things that you would saturate it with who you are. Let me give you an example. So architect, when you're in a site meeting where all the parties are shouting and blaming each other, Are you speaking in a way that embodies arrogance and offense or humility and self-control? People are not watching you on Sundays. They're watching you in that moment. Coach, when you observe parents who are putting their kids under ridiculous pressure to perform, you don't see that in Pretoria ever, do you? Are you confronting them with a vision of truth? High school students, when someone shares a sex thing story with you that's been happening over this weekend, are you passing it on? Or are you shining in that moment a light of a different sexual ethic, a different culture? Not one of judgment, but one of redemption. This is not who I am. This is not who we are. Number three, your profession is, if you can see it this way, it's the character of God. This is the way that I do my work. This is a big one the way that I do my work. Second Corinthians 2, 14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. And through us, he spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. The way I do my work is such that it creates an atmosphere of God's character, of excellence, of creativity, of truthfulness, of grace, of forgiveness, of love, of care, of thoroughfulness, of passion, of brilliance. I was thinking this this week, I don't know if you know, the scientist Francis Collins. He just stepped down after the longest term ever granted to anyone as the head of the NIH, the biggest research institution for science in the world. So in that sense, he is the most powerful scientist to ever live. Billions upon billions upon billions of U.S. taxpayer money of of many other countries saying, man, these guys are doing such an excellent job. He was the head of the Human Genome Project, mapping out the entire human genome to the letter. One of the biggest, biggest projects to ever have taken root in the science community. He is one of the most well-respected. You will not find a single scientist who speaks ill of this man. He's had a career where he's had to face every single thing that the the professional world can throw at you. Academically, professionally, and government, finances, granting, you know, people coming up against you. And here is the thing. He's a Christian. And the first thing that people say about him is he is one of the best scientists, leaders, and one of the best team coaches I've ever met. This man's character is impeccable. His willingness to say that I was wrong, forgive me. I didn't handle that correctly. And where does that come from? Because I'm a Christian. He even started with his own finances, an organization called BioLogos that do research in the space between science and faith. He has a man who's given his life to be the very best at what he does. And yet he sees no gap between that and his faith. In fact, the reason why he does what he does is his faith. Friends, the way that you do what you do says everything about the God that you serve. Why does this coffee shop down the road and in Hazelwood, aroma, we just read about the aroma of Christ. Why is it called aroma, you think? It's because when you walk in there, you are literally struck by an aroma. I'm sure that if you walk in here today, you also have an aroma that strikes you here in the load shedding, but... There's an aroma that hits you when you walk into that coffee shop. It speaks of, come on, sit down, enjoy, community, coffee, tea if you really have to, but coffee mostly. (laughs) What is it? Let's just see those like, Joe. See, God says that his church, not the building, not this thing, but these people, that is my aroma in the city. If you want to taste and see and experience the kingdom, that it just hit you and draw you in, don't think it's going to be primarily the pastors and the prophets. It's primarily going to be the pediatricians, the painters, and the plumbers. It's going to be the Priscilla's and the Aquila's who are in the way they do their work. Just the aroma of Christ. Examples, Dad, speaking to myself here, when you walk into your house, Is your speech bringing the aroma of God's affirmation or is it the aroma of frustration and anger? University students, when you are studying for your tests, are you bringing the aroma of God's excellence or the frustration of just getting by? How can my studies have anything to do with my faith? It has everything to do with your faith. Teachers, when a colleague gossips about you, is your confrontation bringing the aroma of God's truth and forgiveness? Lastly, can we see our professions as the message of God? This is the opportunity that we have in our work. The opportunity we have in our work. Second Corinthians 5, 19 says, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And so therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let me show you a picture quickly. There's there's going to be one on of people singing and then someone doing their work. Now, I want to ask you a question. Which of these two represents worship? Which of these two represent worship, you think? answer is both. Yes, we did have a moment of singing to God in worship. Now we have a moment of, of opening the word in worship, because worship, worship, putting all my worth around the most weighty, heavy object in my life. But the man on the right there is very stylish as an electrician I've ever seen, but he is, he has the opportunity, let's rather say, to worship God. Not every time we're singing, there's worship. Do we know that? Sometimes the church is singing and the music is playing, but there's no worship. And very often we go into Mondays to Saturdays and we are working and parenting and making money and doing our things, but there's no worship. There's an opportunity in our work to be ambassadors for the kingdom and the message of Christ. Christopher Wright says, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church, as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church, the church was made for mission, God's mission. When are we gonna go on mission? We were made for the mission. This is half-time talk, friends. This is pumping ourselves up with the human growth hormone of the spirit of God and and you know the gospel, and now we go and get to be the church. There's an opportunity for worship tomorrow in the way that I parent, in the way that I work, in the way I speak to my colleagues, in the way that I sit and I go the extra mile with that presentation. It speaks of my God. So maybe examples. Mom, when your daughter feels the pressure to flaunt her sexuality, is your counsel bringing the message of a new identity in Christ? Sportsman, when you're in conversations about career with other athletes, Are you sharing about the power of forgiveness in your life through Jesus or the fact that you have your identity in what you do? Engineer, when your office colleagues find out that maybe one of them, their father has cancer, can you be the shoulder for them to cry on? And can you bring a message of hope even today? But I'm an engineer, that's not my calling. No, friend, we have the same profession. We have the same profession. Your skill set very different from mine. I'm not anytime soon, don't trust me with building bridges or anything like that. But guess what? We have the same profession. So if you ask me, maybe just in closing, is Doxado Hatfield an effective church? Are we an effective church? You know, we in this this is this is we're entering into by the end of this year, it'll be year four of us being a church. Maybe you say, but we don't have all the bells and whistles of a church yet. It doesn't matter. Because that's not what makes us effective. If you ask me if we're an effective church, today is not the best day to answer that question. Tomorrow, when this parking lot's gonna be empty and these lights are gonna be off, not because of load shedding, because we switched them off, then we can start answering the question, are we an effective church? How many times have we said that? For those who grew up, I I haven't listened to like the radio radio in my car in years, but I grew up with 5FM when that was still a thing. Is that still a thing? I have no idea. But Gareth Cliff was like the DJ on on Friday mornings and in the week, and he had the saying on a Friday. Who remembers what that went as? Anyone? Uh, (laughs) Jason was like, I need to say it, but don't be too excited about it. (laughs) Yes, that's what he said on a Friday. It was like, it's the weekend now there are reasons why people are excited about the weekend obviously and what should the what do we often say what then should the the war cry of the church be it's monday baby right thank god it's monday baby now we get to be the church Yes, I'm pumped up. Man, gathering is the church. It was inspiring. It was powerful. I got to minister and be ministered to. But now let's go and be the church. Because maybe I'm not Paul, but I've got an even greater calling. I'm Priscilla and Aquila, friends. And yes, you are. Maybe housewife, retired. You're in high school. Maybe you are the painter, the plumber, the programmer, the pediatrician. Are you taking up your calling? So, I've shown this before, but I, again, I want to get this into your marrow, not just into your mind. So, a clip from a movie that I cannot advocate from this stage, but we'll just stick to the clip for a second. 300. Check this out quickly. sauce. What a pleasant surprise. This morning's full of surprises, Leonidas. We've been tricked. more than a few hundred. This is a surprise. Silence. This isn't We heard Sparta was on the warpath, and we were eager to join forces. If it is blood you seek, you're welcome to join us. But you bring only this handful of soldiers against Xerxes? You see, I was wrong to expect Sparta's commitment to at least match our own. Doesn't it? You. Yeah. What is your profession? I'm a potter, sir. And you, Arcadian. What is your profession? Sculptor, sir. You blacksmith, Spartans, what is your profession? <laughs> See, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. So here's the scene, reset. You arrive and you have a whole group of pastors with PhDs out of their ears. And you have missionaries that have been on the field for 30 years. You have got trained, you know, they've got prophets and the gifting. They literally have the, the tongues of fire on their head like we've been joking about. You've got all these professionals and they meet a bunch of people from Dr. Hatfield. men, painters, plumbers, pediatricians, programmers, poets, politicians even. And what do they say? Hey, my friend, it seems we brought more city changes than you did. Because the question you need to answer this morning is what is your profession? What is your profession? And the church that can answer that with that kind of conviction, that is the church that will impact the city.